We are uh, in Acts chapter 2. We are in this series going through Acts. I'm anticipating it being a long one. <laughs> and it's super cool because I-, I told you guys last week that I didn't like hear God tell me to go through Acts. It was something that Johnny suggested and there were some other books I wanted to go through and I was praying and thinking about it. Didn't really hear God say specifically like, this is the thing that I want you to teach on, but I just had to kind of make a choice, right? And it's really cool because last Sunday I realized it was Pentecost Sunday. And so today we're going to be teaching about uh, Pentecost and the day of Pentecost. And literally like last Sunday was what we celebrate as Pentecost. Next Sunday is what like Eastern Orthodox they celebrate Pentecost. So we're like right in between, like right when Pentecost is. And it's sort of the, that cool, fun sort of confirmation that God's like, yeah, cool, you're doing the right thing. So sometimes even when you make that choice, you look for that confirmation, and uh, sometimes God will say, no, I'll like, do this other thing. So, but it's just that fun thing that I'm enjoying. But we're in Acts chapter 2, and um, there it is in verse 1. It says, when the day of Pentecost had fully come. So before we go any further, what is Pentecost. It's also called the Feast of Weeks. It's 50 days after the first fruits of your harvest. So they would have the first fruits, they would do this offering, and then 50 days later, after they had totally like gotten their full harvest, they would basically have this celebration of harvest. And that's what Pentecost is and was. And they would do this massive celebration it was a declaration of God's holiness, and it was a day of thanksgiving for the provisions that God had given them. So they were just basically having a massive thanksgiving feast with everybody. And because the temple's still standing, everybody flocks to Jerusalem. No matter where you're from, if you are a devout Jew, you are going to Jerusalem to celebrate Pentecost. So Jerusalem is packed, full of people, and as we learned about last week, all the disciples, uh, there's about 120 followers of Jesus. Jesus has ascended. They are waiting in the upper room in Jerusalem for the Holy Spirit to show up as Jesus commanded them. So as we read on in verse 1, it says, They were all with one accord in one place. All together, all the followers of Jesus united in one purpose and in prayer together. This is a super powerful thing as believers to be totally united with one mind, moving towards one goal. Uh, they've been, as we talked about last week, setting up their leadership team. They've been praying about their coming ministry that they're going to be doing together. They're continuing the ministry that Jesus started, as we heard in uh, verse 1 of chapter 1, both to do and to teach. That's the ministry of Jesus he started, and he's sending his apostles, his sent ones to do this work. In verse 2 it says, And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as a rushing mighty wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. Then there appeared to them divided tongues as of fire, and one sat upon each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. So, we don't know if this is like actual, they saw flaming tongues like floating up above each one of them. We don't know if it's that or if this is sort of a symbolic thing that like 
this the this spirit filled them and their tongues were just like on fire meaning they just had to speak they were just talking and out came these other languages and it says that they're all filled with the holy spirit in john 14 jesus gives this gives this prophecy of the helper that's going to come he identifies the helper as the holy spirit and he says the the holy spirit has up till now been with you but when the holy spirit comes in power he will be in you so there's this sort of difference that happens when the holy spirit comes and indwells in all the believers of jesus uh, one pause i want to do before we move on here is he says as the spirit gave them utterance last week i talked about those times when god wants you to make a decision there's sort of that eerie silence from god where you don't really know what he wants you to do, and he literally just wants you to make that decision. And I just wanted to pause here and, and talk about the balance that we need to have with that. What I wasn't saying and what I'm not saying and what I will never say is that we just do whatever we want and say, God bless what I'm doing. Here's my agenda. Here's my plan. And you should just like, you know, come along with me as I do whatever I want. That's not what I'm saying. That's not the point. We ask God for guidance always, and he, he often gives it. You're going to feel those times when you come to a fork in the road and you, you know God just wants you to choose that. You're going to feel that. You're going to know that. And again, with this series, when you do make that decision and then he confirms it by doing this weird sort of coincidence, you can say, okay, like, God, I'm, do I'm on the right track. And that's sort of God saying, yeah, I'm with you. I'm doing your thing. And again, sometimes he's going to say, no, don't do that thing. You're getting off track. And then that's when you would shift and do what God wants you to do. Sometimes, though, that, that silence that you're asking God for guidance, you're asking him for help, and you don't really hear God speaking, sometimes that isn't because he wants you to just move or just make a decision. Sometimes it's because he's already told you what to do. Sometimes you go to God and God says, you know, do this specific thing. They're jamming out there. <laughs> and then we go to God again and we say, God, what do you want me to do? And then God's sort of silent. And sometimes that silence is because he's already told you what to do and you're not doing it. He's already, whatever that thing is that God wants you to do, he's already talked to you. And sometimes that silence is because it's, a, it's because of disobedience. Is there something in your life that God is, like a sin in your life, he's telling you to clean it up? Something that he, he wants you to stop doing, something that he wants you to stop saying? Or is there something that he wants you to do or to say? And you're kind of refusing to do that thing. Ah, that seems too hard. Ooh, I don't really want to do that. I don't want to be more giving. I don't want to be more this or that. There's certain things I remember in my life, God gave me a simple command, like love people better. <laughs> like that seems simple, but like you have to take those things seriously. When you hear that sort of thing from God and I'd, I would, you know, go to God, oh God, what do you want me to do? And so it's kind of like, he wasn't saying much more because I wasn't loving people properly. And you have to take those sort of commandments seriously. And as you do those small things God tells you to do, he continues to give you more things. He gives you that next step in your walk. So why am I kind of going down this rabbit trail? It's because tongues is often when this conversation sort of needs to happen. Again, it's as the Spirit gave them utterance. I've heard it time and time again, people say, everybody can and should speak in tongues. And even if you, you know, you don't think you have the gift, just sort of like make some noises and that's tongues. Paul says in Corinthians that not everyone can or not everyone should speak in tongues. He says, I wish you all could speak in tongues. 
but I wish more that you would prophesy, kind of implying that not everybody can speak in tongues. And he says it pretty clearly multiple times, not everybody speaks in tongues. So this idea that we do what we want, oh, we want to speak in tongues, so I'm just going to make it happen and the Spirit's going to come. No, the Spirit gives them utterance. There's a reason that the gift of tongues exists, and it's not for because we want it. We don't tell God what to do, no matter what it is. Even if it's something small, like wanting to speak in tongues, we don't say, I will do this. I am going to do this. You, we don't tell God what to do. The Spirit shows up, and He distributes the gifts as He sees fit. That's how the Spirit works. It's very clear, biblically, and it's not something that we just, uh, I want this, and then we do whatever we want and say, God, bless this thing. Continuing in verse 5, he says, yeah, and there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. This is, again, because of the Feast of Weeks, because of Pentecost. Lots of people in Jerusalem. And it says, when this sound occurred, speaking of 120 people all speaking in different languages, the, just the Spirit giving them utterance, they're just going for it. They're, everyone's, it's this loud noise, everyone's making noise. And the multitude came together and were confused because everyone heard them speaking in his own language. Then they were all amazed and marveled, saying to one another, Look, are not all these who speak Galileans? These are like uneducated fishermen. Like, how are they all speaking my language? It says, And how is it that we hear each in our own language in which we were born? These are all Jewish people. They're devout men, it says. But because of the exiles that happened in the Old Testament, they have spread to all the ends of the earth. They've gone everywhere. The nation of Israel has kind of been brought back together. The temple's been rebuilt. So they're all kind of gathering from all ends of the earth. So they all have different languages. A lot of these people were born in different places. They were, you know, speaking different languages and different dialects. You know, this is not just, oh, they're kind of speaking my language. This is like somebody from Germany showing up and speaking in a perfect Hawaiian accent. Like, it, this, the, you know, like the, the little idioms, the, the, the slang, like a perfect dialect. Uh, the Holy Spirit gave the apostles a perfect utterance. Not just like as he gave utterance, but a perfect utterance. There's a, there's a communication that's happening that cannot be mistaken. It's a, it's a perfect communication that's happening here and people are like man how how are we all hearing these galileans these uneducated fishermen you know not dressed real nice whatever it is like we we know who these people are how are we hearing them like they're totally speaking my language and i understand them perfectly uh verse eight and how is it that we hear each in our own language in which we were born parthians and medes and elamites those dwelling in mesopotamia Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya adjoining Cyrene. Visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabs, we hear them speaking in our own tongues the wonderful works of God. This isn't in my notes, but and I've talked about it before, but there's a woman that used to work at Hope Chapel and she had a private prayer language that she would pray sometimes. And she was in the office one day and she heard 
certain words, heard the language that she would pray in. She didn't even know it was a real language. She just heard it. And she's like, what? Like, that's what I, that's how I pray. Like, what is that? So she got up, she went and talked to the person, found out what language it was, and then started translating some of the words that she knew she said in her prayer language, words that she said all the time, words that she recognized. So she starts looking it up and finding words like powerful, love, joy, peace, these like massive truths proclaiming the goodness and righteousness and power of God. She didn't know what she was saying as she was praying in this other language, this private prayer language, but she started to find out what she was saying and God sort of revealed this thing to her by her overhearing this other language. And so that's kind of what's going on. Whether these people know what they're saying or not, they are speaking in all these other people's languages the wonderful works of God. And so, so they were all amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, whatever could this mean? Others, mocking, said, they are full of new wine. Now, Paul again in Corinthians, he tells us through that letter to the Corinthians that we need to be careful not to sort of go wild with tongues in our church services. For this same reason, he says, if a newcomer comes and hears everybody sort of going nuts with tongues and everyone's yelling and screaming and going wild, he's gonna the, the newcomer's gonna say, These people are drunk, these people are crazy, and they're gonna leave having gotten no explanation for what just happened, and they're never gonna come back to church again. Paul says, Don't do that. There needs to be order. If there is a tongue, there needs to also be an interpretation, there needs to be order in a church service. However, here in Acts, this is how the Holy Spirit shows up, and this is how he draws a crowd. And in verse 14, it says, Peter, standing up with the eleven, raised his voice and said to them, Men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and heed my words, for these are not drunk as you suppose, since it's only the third hour of the day. He's saying that the third hour, it means it's 9 a.m. Okay, it's, it's only 9 a.m. These people are not drunk like you think, but this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. So I want to encourage you guys to read Joel, understand the context of Joel chapter 2 that he's going he's gonna to quote here. He's going to give a sermon out of Joel chapter 2, Peter is. And he's going to give this sermon and quote Joel to explain what is going on. The question is, whatever can this mean? What is happening here? And Peter's going to get up and preach a sermon to explain what they're seeing and hearing. I'm going to kind of blow through this. I'm going to, I'm going to read this. Does anyone love to read out loud? No? <laughs> I like reading out loud. Yeah? You want to read uh, verse 17 through 40? Of chapter 2? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I guess. You could break it If somebody else would like to read also, if we could break it up. I can read. Yeah? Okay. I can I'll read. Great. It to you. <laughs> yes. Wait, it goes till 40, right? Yes. So not all of that. Okay. <laughs> what is he, is he quoting? What chapter of Joel? Chapter 2 of Joel. Thanks. And in the last days it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. 
even on my male servants and female servants. In those days I will pour out my spirit, and they shall prophesy. And I will show wonders in the heavens above, and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun shall be turned to darkness, and the moon to blood, before the day of the Lord comes, the great and magnificent day. And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man arrested, attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him on your in your midst, as you yourselves know. This Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death, because it was not possible for him to be held by it. For David says concerning him, I saw the Lord always before me, for he is at my right hand, that I may not be shaken. Therefore my heart was glad and my tongue rejoiced. My flesh also will dwell in hope, for you will not abandon my soul to Hades, or let your Holy One see corruption. You have made known to me the paths of life. You will make me full of gladness with your presence. Fellow Israelites, I can tell you confidently that the patriarch David died and was buried, and his tomb is here to this day. But he was a prophet and knew that God had promised him on oath that he would place one of his descendants on his throne. Seeing what was to come, he spoke of the resurrection of the Messiah, that he was not abandoned to the realm of the dead, nor did his body see decay. God has raised this Jesus to life, and we are all witnesses of it. Exalted to the right hand of God, he has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit and has poured out what you now see and hear. For David did not ascend to heaven, and yet he said, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? Peter replied, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. With many other words, he warned them, and he pleaded with them, Save yourselves from this corrupt generation. Those who accepted his message were baptized, and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. That's good. Awesome. I know that's a big chunk. I just kind of wanted you guys to hear the whole sermon, or at least what's, what's recorded of the sermon, all in one thing. And we can kind of go back through Peter's sermon and kind of hit some of his points that he makes. But before we do, I, I just wanted to mention that, that in verse 40, many other words were spoken, right? Luke is saying, like, there was more to this sermon, but these are the points. This is, this is the gist of, of what was spoken here. So Peter says, number one, point number one in Peter's sermon, it's the last days. In uh, verse 17, he says, it shall come to pass in the last days. And then he says all these things that are happening. Those things are happening right now. He's saying, the last days have begun. Uh, number two, what you're seeing and what you're hearing, they've been prophesied about for a long time. Here it is. It's happening right now before your eyes. You're hearing it happen. You're witnessing these things happen 
right now. The, the Holy Spirit is being poured out on how much flesh? Verse 17. Oh. All flesh. The Holy Spirit is being poured out on all flesh. Now, does this mean that everyone will be saved? Some will say Jesus died on the cross. The Holy Spirit is poured out on all flesh. This means everyone's going to die. There's no hell. Or everyone's going to live. There's no hell. Everyone's going to, there's no judgment. Everyone's making it to heaven. When you, they die, oh, they've gone to a better place. And, and they're sort of twisting this truth. That's not what Peter's saying. He, he is building in this sermon. And what he will get to is it means that the Spirit of God is being made available and distributed to all who believe that Jesus is the Christ. And he hasn't gotten there yet, but that's where he's going with this point. Not only are these signs, them hearing the the prophesying and the, the different tongues, these miracles, he's like, not only those things, but also other things that you've seen and heard. He says, there's wonders in heaven above. There's signs in earth beneath. There's blood, fire, vapor of smoke, uh, the sun darkened, the moon turned to blood. And he says, when you see these things, the great and awesome, I like magnificent, but I also like my Bible says awesome. The great and awesome day of the Lord is near. Now, these past things, these wonders, these signs, Jesus performed these things. The, the sun darkened. There was a, an eclipse when Jesus died. The, the, the moon turning to blood. Like the, These things are signs that happened that all of these people would have known about and witnessed. Jesus healing people. People, you know, all, of, all these things that he's talking about. He's saying, not only this right now, these tongues that you're hearing is, is a fulfillment of Joel, but also all these other things that Jesus has fulfilled. You've heard about him. You know him. Whoever calls on the name of the Lord is his uh, point in verse 21. They shall be saved. So whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Now his next point is a question. Who is the Lord? That's number three. Who is the Lord? Gold star kids? Jesus! Jesus. It's always the answer. <laughs> and you're saying, you've heard this sermon before, but this is a sermon that I love to teach. I love Peter's sermon. It's a gospel sermon. And uh, he's saying that Jesus is the Lord. He says, you saw him, you heard of him, you saw him do these signs, and you crucified him. Jesus is the Christ. He says, David prophesied about Jesus' death and his resurrection. He says in this sermon that David was not prophesying about himself. He's prophesying about Jesus. He, he says, David's dead and rotting in his tomb. Like, if you go to Jerusalem right now, we all got on a plane, flew to Jerusalem, we could visit David's tomb. We know where he's buried. And that's what Peter's saying. We know where his tomb is. We know David, where David's buried. He's rotting. He's seeing corruption. He's, his soul is still in the, the place of the dead. Obviously, Hades is confusing because we think of that as hell, but that's the place of the dead. We talked about that in the Peter series. But he's saying, David's not prophesying about himself, but the Christ. David's dead. Jesus is alive. And he says that David also prophesied about Jesus' resurrection and ascension into heaven. And then he says, we are 
witnesses of this thing. In verse 32, we are all witnesses. Now, the Old Testament, you needed at least two witnesses, two or three witnesses to accomplish anything. Someone, an accusation is brought against somebody, one person says it, sorry, no trial. You need at least two witnesses saying similar things or the same things. With two or three witnesses, Deuteronomy, I think it says, a thing is accomplished, a thing is established. If you wanted a new law, you needed two or three witnesses to make a new law. These, that's sort of how the law worked. God gave a law to Moses, and anything that happened had to be done with two or three witnesses. Here we see 120 witnesses, and Peter says, We are all witnesses that Jesus is the Christ. And Jesus told them that they would be witnesses. We read that last week in, in chapter 1. And here they are fulfilling Jesus' calling. 120 people. Not only that, though, he says that God himself attested to Jesus. Jesus of Nazareth, 22, a man attested by God to do miracles, wonders, and signs. God himself said during his baptism, People heard the voice of God. A dove came down, signifying the Holy Spirit, and they heard God said, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. God is the trump card of all witnesses. Not only do they have 120 people saying, This is the Christ, but God himself said it as well. Jesus is Lord and Christ, verse 36. Therefore, let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God has made, again, God is the best witness out there. God has made Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. We killed God. Thanks, David. You killed God. Peter didn't go to seminary and know that you're not supposed to use you language in a sermon. <laughs> He's putting it on pretty thick. You killed the Christ. You killed the Lord. Point six is repent. Be baptized by water. Receive the Holy Spirit. The same Spirit that raised the Christ from the dead can dwell in you. Receive the Holy Spirit. Spread the word of God. He says that this prophecy... Verse 39, the promise is to you and your children. He's saying to spread this gospel truth. The prophecy, the promise of salvation is to you and your children. And he continues, and to all who are far off, as many as the Lord will call. They have heard the call of Jesus, go into all the world, preach to every creature, make disciples. And he is saying the same thing. Repent, be baptized, receive the Holy Spirit, and go and tell others. Bring people into the kingdom of God. And in verse 41, Then those who gladly received this word were baptized. And that day, about 3,000 souls were added to them. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship in the breaking of bread and in prayers. Peter didn't just tell them to be saved and then leave. He didn't just have this massive, you know, church meeting and then take off. 
He dwelt with them. He discipled them. He made disciples as Jesus told him to do. Again, Jesus's ministry is both to teach and to do. Here, Peter is teaching and doing. He is taking that ministry very seriously that Jesus gave him to do. Peter fellowshiped with them. He ate with them. He continued to teach them. He continued to disciple them. And in verse 43, it says, Then fear came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done through the apostles. Now all who believed were together and had all things in common, and sold their possessions and goods, and divided them among all as anyone had need. They became a community. They became people who, who had one purpose, had one goal, had one ministry, and they started taking care of each other the way a church is supposed to take care of one another. So continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they hung out together, they went to church together, they ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart, praising God and having favor with all people. And the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. People are drawn to community. People are drawn to a loving friendship sort of ministry. And that's what my hope is, that that's what we will be, not just here tonight on Wednesdays, but also in our church, that we will be that loving community that people see and say, yeah, I want to be a part of that. I want to be discipled by the same people that they're discipling. We're all supposed to be discipling somebody. And that's what Peter tells them to do. Repent, receive the Holy Spirit, and tell your family. <laughs> because the best people you can minister to is your family. Start bringing people into the kingdom of God. And keep going to church together. Keep hanging out together. Eat together and have fun together. But know that it's more than just hanging out. A lot of the time, and this isn't in my notes, but um, a lot of the time we, we think of fellowship as like, yeah, let's have fellowship and just hanging out. The definition of fellowship is coming together, united as a group to do a specific thing. What is that specific thing that we're trying to do? Our goal is to do what Jesus told us to do. We all have a personal ministry as Johnny taught about and as we are trying to come together to do. but. That personal ministry, it fits into the plan of God, which is the one ministry of Jesus to make disciples in the world. So whatever God has called you to do, we're, that's our job. That's what we are supposed to unite to do. So when we are fellowshipping, yes, we're hanging out. We're encouraging one another, not only in our ministry, but in our daily lives. And when Christians hang out, it's more than just hanging out. We have... God as the person who's always driving our conversations and always pushing us to encourage one another or to, you know, lean on each other to help one another out on a daily basis and be that loving community. So that's chapter two. We buzzed through it. There's tons more to study in there. There's tons that people love to argue about in there. I don't really want to dwell on that because it's an amazing sermon that Peter just gets up. The Holy Spirit draws this crowd with tongues. Peter gets up and preaches this amazing sermon and 3,000 people are saved because the Holy Spirit moved. And that is my hope for everybody in here, that we will experience the Holy Spirit move in our lives and that he will just empower us to do whatever that job is to do. But the ultimate goal is for furthering the kingdom of God. So let's pray and then we'll eat together and we'll fellowship together. 
Speaker, I just want to thank you so much for sending your Holy Spirit to dwell within us, God. All of us who uh, have faith in everything Jesus did and said, we receive your Spirit, God, and, and I thank you so much for that. I pray that you will guide us every day, reveal, even if it's just step by step, that ministry that you have us to do, God. I pray that you will speak through us when we have the opportunity. I pray that we will look for that opportunity and also not dwell on the times we've failed, but look at those times as, as um, learning experiences on how we can do better next time. God, we love you. We praise you. I pray that you bless the rest of our time tonight. Bless our fellowship. Help our conversation to be glorifying to you. And just help us all to be safe this week and uh, be with us as we go into the world. In Jesus' name, amen. amen.